I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Editing Podcast. This week, we're thrilled to welcome back Louise Bolleton, who shared so many valuable insights with us about sub-editing. Yep, great to have you back, Louise. So this time around, we're dealing with a very different topic, the language of illness. Yeah, hello again, Louise. Hello, thanks for having me back. You're welcome. So, conscious language, and it's rightly an important topic that any professional editor needs to be aware of and thinking about. So, problematic racialized, ageist, transphobic, gendered and disability language, for example, All of those are increasingly being considered and challenged, but the language of illness hasn't had quite the same level of attention. And that's an issue that's very close to your heart, Louise. Um, Would you like to explain to the listeners why that is? Yes, uh, about three and a half months ago, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, That was a bit of a shock because I hadn't had any cancer symptoms. while the tumours were growing inside me um, and I felt well and then suddenly I discovered that actually I wasn't well and I was immediately thrust into a whole world not just about oncology appointments and scans and stuff but the ridiculous amount of cliched language around cancer that doesn't really apply to any other kind of illnesses and I don't find a lot of the language around cancer to be helpful it's very stereotypical um, and I think a lot of it is just thoughtless. I have a, I have a real bugbear about one or two particular terms. <laughs> Go on, give us some examples. <laughs> um, well, the word journey, for example, which, you know, even now, if you go and look it up in a dictionary, whether a print one or online, will give you a very, very clear definition. This is about when you travel from A to B in a car or on a bus or a train or a plane mm. or whatever. I mean, for me, that's that's what a journey is. Um, I can walk out of my house. I can get on a train um, in central Manchester and I can be in London two hours later that was a journey for me for me cancer is not a journey and yet it's always talked about in these terms and I think I can't prove this but I have a theory that this goes back to all these reality tv shows like x factor which I think was probably the one that started it where everyone has a backstory and then it's Mm. their journey as they start on the program and do their auditions and hopefully you know they become a superstar but it's that whole that whole process of like going through auditions and you know on tv and going through all the different stages of a musical talent contest it's a journey I mean I don't understand why that in itself is even called a journey Mm. I would say that kind of thing is an experience for sure but suddenly it's become the language of cancer and I am facing death within the next four to six months for sure. And I have people saying to me, good luck with your cancer journey. And I'm like, do you even understand Mm -hmm. what you just said to me? Um, It's it's really quite shocking. How does it make you feel, you've just said it, it makes you feel angry. But what, what, when you, what kind of language do you think they what how do you want people to speak to you about this what do you what do you want to, to, to them to just how do you I, want them to frame it or do you want them to ask you I, well I think asking 
anybody with any kind of medical condition is a good place to start in the same way that we might around language, you know, that's you know, problematic, racialized language or ageist and so on, as Denise just said. Um, quite often it's better to ask somebody how they would like to be described or whatever. Um, I mean, I have a disability as well. I have epilepsy and it's been a, a bugbear of mine for the last 30 years that people say I'm suffering from it. And I'm not yeah. suffering from epilepsy. <laughs> I have it, I live with it. Um, I haven't had a big fit for a long time because I take medication. I definitely don't think I'm suffering from it. It's part, it's part of my life, but it's not the only part. And I get really cross when people call me an epileptic as well. Um, mm. So these are all, you know. The, like it define it, like it's defining you in some way. Yeah, like exactly. It's... You know, there's a lot of discussion around, around disability language about, you know, whether it's the social model um, or the medical model, um, which kind of determines how people with disabilities get described. When, when I was working on, on in the press as a sub-editor, um, most style guides these days will say things like wheelchair user, not wheelchair bound, um, because obviously someone who's in a wheelchair uses it to get around. That's their pair of legs, basically, mm. except mm -hmm. it's wheels. Um, when you describe somebody as wheelchair bound, you're, you're basically saying you're, you're limited, you're defined by your restrictions mm -hmm. because you can't walk. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of discourse around disability language for things like that. Um, but in terms of like actual illnesses, uh, I know somebody whose father died of motor neurone disease a couple of years ago. Um, and motor neurone disease isn't talked about as like a battle or a fight. It's definitely not a journey. Um, motor neurone disease always ends in death or yeah. you know, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a progressive degenerative disease. Yeah. I think if anybody said to somebody who has motor neurone disease, well, good luck on your MND journey, you probably want to punch them in the face because yeah. you'd be yeah. saying, well, good luck with dying. Um, yeah. It's a yeah. terribly, terribly offensive thing to say. Um, and there's a lot, of, a lot of discussion around, you know, it's a battle, it's a fight. This is a battle you have to overcome. And of course, a lot of people who have cancer don't survive it. It kills them. Um, mm. And I make no apologies for saying kills because it does. It's a terrible disease to have. Um, but my friend Emma, her mother had breast cancer and she, she did overcome it. She did survive it. She had surgery, mm -hmm. she had chemo. And when she was going back for one of her follow-up appointments, one of the, the nurses in the cancer clinic said to her, I'm sure it was your positive attitude that helped you to beat your cancer. And Emma's mother just replied, well, that's not very nice. What about all the women who didn't make it? Yeah, you know, it's so think, true. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. it, that language around battles and fighting, it also kind of makes it feel like it's an individual responsibility. It's your fault if you die of cancer because you didn't fight mm -hmm. hard enough. Yeah. Um, and this kind of language is replicated across um, medical brochures and stuff. When I was diagnosed, I was given a whole bunch of Macmillan booklets and things about bowel cancer and secondary tumours and stuff. And these booklets, are, they've got the reading level of a seven-year-old for one thing, which is, I won't go into how annoying that is. Um, <coughs> It's, again it's full of the language around your cancer journey and battling it and fighting it and surviving it and you know even while we've been talking just now I find some of those words trying to come off my tongue because they're so ingrained in the language they are ingrained aren't they yeah they are completely mm -hmm. ingrained we mm -hmm. don't even so 
one of my friends has got um he's got a friend who works in a teaching hospital in nottingham and this friend had heard that i'd written about my experiences on facebook because when i was diagnosed i basically posted to tell my friends i've just been diagnosed with cancer um and he said oh i'd really like to read your blog and i said well it isn't a blog it's a bunch of facebook posts and this was someone who works with patients in a cancer clinic at teaching hospital in nottingham and so i said well i haven't really got anything to show you it's just my private facebook post and then he said well you know I wish you well on your cancer journey and i said well it's not a journey and then he said oh well we have to use this at, at, in my work we have to you know the department head said we have to use the term cancer journey and i said to him i'm not even one of your patients so why are you using it with mm -hmm. me you're not obliged mm -hmm. to use it with me but it's it's become so ingrained that all professionals who work in and around medical cancer settings, various clinics and things like that. They all use this term and I just find it- Which means so we're all annoying. using it. Yeah. We're all using it now, aren't we? Because we don't know how else to talk about it. Yeah. Because we, yeah. we assume that if that's the way Macmillan are talking about it, or that's the way the NHS is talking about it, yeah. then that's the right way to talk about it. Yeah. And so, yeah. Has anybody actually asked people with yeah. cancer how they feel about it? It was really refreshing yeah. to see you we've, on Facebook. I think Louise, we've and... gone from a society where nobody ever talked about cancer ever because mm -hmm. it was the big taboo to mm -hmm. talking about it very openly, but in within a really tight, within a really tight kind of narrative um of using these particular terms mm -hmm. um and it's it is very very problematic if you've got terminal cancer or if you've got multiple cancers or whatever and you're clearly going to have you know if you're if you are going to try and and cure it um you're going to be going through a lot of really quite traumatic medical experiences to do that like chemotherapy or surgery or whatever but we talk about you know it's kind of like this kind of bright smiley flowery language and I don't think it's appropriate at all mm. actually it's it's become a terrible cliche it's a hideous stereotype and it really doesn't describe a lot of people's experience and I I announced on LinkedIn a week ago that I was retiring um, and I said it's because I have terminal cancer and I had a lot of very lovely responses but again I had people saying good luck with your cancer journey and I was like, it's not a journey a journey is when you get on a bus and you get off mm -hmm. at the other end mm. um, well I think cancer is a journey even if it restricts your mobility and I'm like well fine if you have cancer and you want to call your cancer a journey go ahead but this is my cancer and it's not a journey for me mm. and I don't want anybody saying that to me um how do you yeah. talk about it Louise mm -hmm. how do you um, talk about your I've, cancer I've I have been very frank from the very beginning because I think that even when people have terminal cancer there people don't want to talk about what's coming we don't we have taboos around talking about death in this country mm. um and end of life I know what's coming and at the moment I'm I'm writing quite a lot about on Facebook about preparing the big end of life questions with my GP and so on um and I've been I've had really nice feedback about how frank I've been um but at the beginning when I told my friends I have terminal cancer a lot of people said I don't really know what to say and I said well that's all right just say that you don't know what to say and then just keep chatting with me we don't have to talk about my cancer um 
what's worse is when people don't know what to say so they kind of stay away um mm. and you suddenly think well I've lost I, I, have I lost a friend they you know they're not saying anything to me I think that's quite right. a common thing isn't it with people they don't know what to say so they withdraw because they yeah. they're, they're worried about um, yeah. upsetting or offending you or mm -hmm. they don't know how to deal with their with their own thoughts and feelings around yeah. it as well yeah um, or, is... or, and that's when sometimes they the alternative is to lean on that language that those narratives of battle yeah. fights mm -hmm. journeys because it feels like a safety net yeah it's almost I... a, it's a way of, of getting in yeah. there rather but... than just saying to someone like in your position how do you want it? How do you want us to deal with this? Yeah. I think if we look at, you know, we could we could compare it to, you know, to the examples of the racialized language that was very commonplace in the UK, you know, slur words beginning with N and, and things like that, which nobody batted an eyelid about 40, 50, 60 years ago. Mm. But of course, our thinking around those problematic terms that kind of problematic language has moved on enormously not least of all guided by by the minorities who have experienced racism um, and I think cancer's kind of it's kind of trapped in this little corner at the moment where we have a very small vocabulary for it but I would like to think that after I am gone probably not immediately but at some time down the line there will be better thinking about this in terms of how we describe this particular illness, which is not just one illness, there are many kinds of cancers um, and many kinds of outcomes from them. Some cancers can be fixed quite easily with a little bit of quick and dirty surgery, for example. Other people need chemo, they might need radiotherapy, they might have many, many cycles of treatment over many years. Some people might be done and dusted in six months. It's a really different experience for everybody. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the, the talk about battles and fights and journeys and so on just doesn't it's not adequate to uh, to describe it and this is the only illness where we talk about it in these kind of terms we don't talk about other illnesses being a battle and when we think about gendered language like there's a move now to rather than assigning pronouns to people to think instead let's ask people what their pronouns are and and, and what you've talked about earlier is is is, is a very similar thing like why why can't we move to a situation where we ask people how, right you've got cancer how do you want to frame it how do you want us to yeah. when we're talking about it and so if we can do that with gendered language we can do it with the language of illness as well but it does it does need uh, a kick up the backside it does, which, which Louise let's face it it's what you're doing right now is because yeah. you're being so open and frank about um about your cancer and about how you feel about the language around it that that I hope that people listening to this will start to think more consciously about mm. the language that is used and perhaps challenge themselves and their assumptions and maybe gently challenge other people it's only by having these conversations that we can start to think about how yeah. these changes can come about really so hopefully you've you've opened that door for for some people that are listening well, to this I'm just one person swimming against a vast global tide of but it's how everything's it's how everything starts though isn't it it's yeah. how but that is how starts. it starts yes mm -hmm. and I think I think it's quite likely that in you know 
10 years time or or something we might well be looking at how we move away from these kind of stereotypes when we talk about cancer mm-hmm. um i would really like to think so and i and i would really like to think i am actually challenging my own friends and certainly mm-hmm. one or two of my friends have said I've really appreciated you being frank about you know preparing for end of life for example because we all die um, mm-hmm. and we don't like talking about death um and i hope that i'm giving one of my friends posted on Facebook this morning and said, you know, it's actually made me think about my own retirement and now I'm going to bring it forward. And he really appreciated that I, what I was posting on Facebook mm-hmm. was making him think about, he's, this is someone who's a few years older than me and doesn't have cancer, but it made him think about, you know, the inevitable comes at some point, um, mm-hmm. yeah. whether it's illness or, or you die from natural causes or whatever. Um, but he said it had really made him think about, you know, his future. Um, you know, he doesn't know how many years of retirement he's got or anything. But I think mm. I think it has made quite a few of my friends think about, you know, what happens when you get sick and you might die from it. Yeah. Um, and not to put your head in the sand. For me, I couldn't do it. I couldn't have done this differently because I'm just I'm just mouthy anyway. And I've, <laughs> been, I've always been quite open and blunt. So. And, and I have actually told people to f off um, <laughs> with the cancer stuff. I had I had a, somebody sent me a press release. Um, another journalist sent me a press release, and I emailed back, and it was it was a press release for something that has nothing to do with any of the subjects that have covered in journalism. And I, I, was, I was having a, a bit of a bad day. So I sent him back a rather tart reply saying, um, one, I've retired. No, what? No, that was the last one I said. One, um, I don't cover this subject. Two, I've never covered this subject. Three, your press release was really badly targeted. Um, please make sure you send it to journalists in future um, who um, actually do write about this topic and four I've retired and I got a response back that said oh you're so rude etc etc and I just replied said oh do fuck off I've retired because I've got terminal cancer (laughs) and then he he actually he actually emailed me back and said what a foul mouth response from someone who's an advanced professional member of the chartered institute (laughs) editing and proofreading and I just I didn't reply but I again I was just thinking I don't know what to say to that (laughs) quite funny that I'd mm. actually managed to offend him um, because he didn't like the fact that I had I mean a lot of a lot of people who you know a lot of public relations agencies pump out press releases that are mm. badly targeted and I quite mm. if I'm in the mood I will take them to task over it. So so yes I think I think that's the one thing about having terminal cancer because it does give you carte blanche to tell people to fuck off. <laughs> oh Louise can't hang on a minute. I think you'd have done that 10 years ago. <laughs> I do it anyway. I do it anyway. I've done it my whole life. But yes, it certainly it certainly does give you carte blanche to be as rude as you want to people. Yeah. I just you know, my clock is ticking down. I don't have much time left. I don't know how much time I've got left. And I just I don't want to waste it. Um having stupid conversations with people about my cancer oh you're on a journey um no I'm not I'm dying that's the blunt truth of it it's not a journey I'm dying and I and I don't think we should be talking about cancer as a journey but the NHS leaflets and you know cancer charities leaflets all talk about it and I think as ed- let's let's come back to the whole issue of editing I think this is this is somewhere this is an area where where editors could actually start 
yeah a challenge so yeah envelope and say why you know it's you know sending stuff back you know to the authors and saying don't you think this is a bit of a cliche you know is there a better way we could frame this I think I think that definitely there's definitely a role there for editors who work with medical texts to to push the boundaries a bit Mm -hmm. and maybe even if you're working with indie authors who are writing fiction again you see those kind of things cropping up in stories where you've got a storyline about you know one of the characters who's got cancer, you'll see it popping up in fiction as well. I think, mm. I think there, I think there is an honest on there actually to start challenging this and to um, remind people at the very least that yes, some people may view their own cancer. Just as you said earlier, I'm just paraphrasing. You said some people may see it as a journey, but not. We cannot assume that everybody wants to see it like that. And yeah. when you're writing for a general audience, you need to be aware that your words might harm somebody and yeah. or offend yeah. them. Yeah. It's exactly what you've been doing, reminding people that, we, you know, as editors, as people, we can't make these assumptions. Yeah, it's like it's like this idea almost that, you know, people with cancer, I'm doing air quotes here, people with cancer are some kind of am- amorphous mass who all think, feel and react in the same yeah. way. And, mm-hmm. and not everybody wants to see it as a battle uh, yeah. not everybody wants to in- engage with treatment uh, and not everybody wants to spend their time remaining going out and doing lots of really brilliant things some people might just want to retreat to their room and yeah. not see your day. I mean I, I have chosen not to have treatment I even mm-hmm. when even when I was first diagnosed and I didn't know until 12 days after my diagnosis that it was terminal mm-hmm. um I had already for many years thought if I ever get cancer, I'm not sure I would want to have chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I had my first appointment with the oncologist, I said, you know, I'm kind of not really keen on going down that road. Um, and given given that my cancer is very advanced, um, I was offered chemo and decided not to because it wouldn't really, there was a strong chance that the particular drugs they wanted to give me wouldn't really have helped anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And that they, and and I could have had three months of chemo and got to the end of that cycle and been told, well, we just looked at your scans and sorry, but it didn't help. Um, Mm -hmm. And it only delays the inevitable. So I chose not to have treatment and just try and live, live a great life while I, while I'm still well enough to do so. Um, It's, it's, People have said to me, you know, it is a battle. It's not because I'm, I'm in a situation where my cancer is a battle I will never be able to win. So I don't see it as a battle. Yeah. Um, people die of all kinds of things anyway, mm-hmm. not just cancer, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I, find, I mean, I haven't been offended when people have said journey to me, but I have got angry. Yeah. <laughs> so I have yeah. challenged them. Um, yeah, I've made I've made my own choices about how how I'm dealing with this disease and how I'm how I'm going to face it. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just don't want people throwing cliches at me because yeah. I think I think, I think that that's offensive. Actually. It's such a good reminder for our friends and colleagues who are editorial professionals and who are listening to this today to think more granularly about people with cancer and their experiences and the language around that because we have a duty really once we know about these things and once people flag them up to us we've got a duty as editors to carry that forward into our work I think and um, make people think about um, 
the language that they're using that's our job that's what we do yes, we, is, we're yeah. asking people to it's about interrogating the words we use isn't it not about saying this is wrong or this is right about mm -hmm. interrogating all the different circumstances in which something might work or might not work and I think that's what you've really done a fantastic job with uh, using your very very visible public platforms as well online mm -hmm. to, to, to do in 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 a typically bulletin way just, like, <laughs> just, just say it like it is and 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 challenge um what's gone before yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, for me, that was just instinctive. I mean, I, you know, I broke the news to friends first and and a lot of that was me breaking it on Facebook because I've got friends scattered over a wide geographical area. And then I posted on the, the forum for the Chartered Institute of Editing and Proofreading and let people know I was retiring because I have terminal cancer. And then, as I said last week, um, I went on LinkedIn and made an announcement and I was actually shocked at how viral it went. And then I thought, do you know what? The number of times I posted on LinkedIn and said, I've just blogged about something, hop over to my website and read my latest blog post. And I would feel lucky if I got 50 views. Um, <laughs> yes. I've had over a hundred thousand now. And I just was thinking, you bastards, you weren't interested in me until I was dying. And I told you, <laughs> but yeah, I was, I, but doesn't that show you how it resonated with people? Yeah. It how does. you put it across it the topic and how you put it across. Yeah. Yeah. The, and but the I fact couldn't that do it any other way. This is yeah. me. I've always I've always spoken very frankly about all yeah. kinds of stuff. Um, and I don't know if that's partly because I've I've worked in the in the press for such a long time where we do kind of tend to say it as it is, but this is just me, and I'm I'm not the kind of person who goes, Oh, I've got cancer, I can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I hope that I am showing people a different way I actually do hope that I do well and the fact that those posts are, get, are getting so much um so much visibility um, yeah uh the, the, it means that you you have created a, 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 a even in, within the framework of those those single posts on Facebook and on LinkedIn you've mm -hmm. created these little micro platforms where you can absolutely start that that ball rolling of challenging yeah. the assumptions around um language and uh, 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 language around illness and, and yeah. that, that is part of a much bigger conversation that every as, as we've all agreed uh, editors it, it's our duty of care to 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 do that and so <clears throat> and and we we can't exclude illness from it now there because it's out there you've made sure of that yeah 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 louise we really need to thank you so much we for do, do. for your openness your wisdom, your bulletinness. Yeah. <laughs> we we really both like to wish you much wine, much gin consumption, and much fun over the months ahead. Thank and you. plenty of relaxation and hurrahs if and when you want them. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Louise. Yeah. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever platform you prefer. So she's been Louise. And they've been Louise and Denise. Thank you for listening and join us again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.